Hi, welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of The Treadcast, a podcast about success and everyone's unique path to it. My guest today is longtime TV presenter and personality Barry Nolan, who started out at WBZ in Boston, and then his journey took him from New York to L.A. to hard copy to extra and much more. Here's our conversation. So, Barry, when I reached out to you a few months back and I asked you about being on my podcast, and you were like, what is the podcast about? And I was telling you it's, you know, success-based and you were humble saying like, oh, geez, I don't know if, you know, there's really much I can talk about on that. And then I sit here and I look at your resume and it's like, where do I start? <laughs> I mean, you got Evening Magazine, Hard Copy, Extra. You were doing some stuff with Congress. You're a documentary, you're a document, well, let me try that again. Three, two, one, documentarian or documentary filmmaker. I'll say any of that. But I mean, you've had a, a pretty wide ranging career here. Well, I, I wish I could take more credit for it, but it, none of it ever involved a plan. You know, I, I am sometimes impressed by uh, people that you read about or meet that from the time they were in high school, they were doing something or other, and they had this plan to be president or a banker or I don't know who wants to be a banker. But, uh, you know, they wound up doing just the thing they prepared all their life for. And I just I never had a plan and just kept doing things that seemed like, oh, I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. And which doesn't seem necessarily like the lesson you want to give children. <laughs> exactly. But to, to counterpoint that a little bit, I think it's a matter of taking on what comes your way, but also being able to adapt and evolve and, and kind of find your, your own little niche there. And, and it, it seems like that you've been able to kind of move from one place to another. And as you know, in the broadcasting world, it can be a, a pretty wild ride. Indeed, sir. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that I can take credit for is getting fired a lot of times. <laughs> Uh, per, uh, the most high-profile one was when I was working for Comcast, producing for their regional news and entertainment network, and uh, doing a show. And it was time to put in all the people for uh, awards that year for Emmys. And I happened to find out by accident that the New England National Television and Radio Association was going to was going to give the highest award they have, the Governor's Award, to Bill O'Reilly. Mm. For lifetime achievement, mm. and I just thought, what? <laughs> and I, so I called up some of my friends who have been in television a long time, and I said, "Listen, I just heard this thing." And when I would tell them, they'd go, "What?" <laughs> and so I started speaking about it to other people and saying, I, I think we should try and talk Natus out of doing that, or National Association of Television Arts and Sciences, Natus. Eventually, I got a call from the nice ladies at page six there at the Boston Herald saying, we hear you're saying Bill O'Reilly shouldn't get the governor's order. I said, well, yeah, look, jeez. <laughs> and I began to speak about it and Comcast got really mad at me. And eventually I, I was fired for saying that. And nobody in the whole process of all that, nobody, not Comcast, not Bill O'Reilly, not Fox News ever said anything I said was not true or not accurate. <laughs> no, I just said Things that had happened. So, but it turned out to, you know, it's a really terrible feeling to come home from work and walk into my wife, who I just still love madly, and say, well, it's an interesting day at work, sweetheart. Because <laughs> there is no more. But it, it was a terrible day. But then it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because then I, I ended up uh, going into a new phase of my life, which is like TV 
for grumpy, old, ugly people uh, politics. <laughs> Barry Nolan is my guest, TV presenter, presenter, documentarian, not on Bill O'Reilly's Christmas card list is my guest on the, the Treadcast. So Barry, where I first obviously discovered you, not obviously, but where I discovered you was growing up in New England, growing up in the Berkshires, and watching you on Evening Magazine with Sarah Edwards. And it was just sort of, it, it, it was, how do I kind of put it, almost like comfort television. Like you could turn it yeah. on every night and it was these nice warm, you know, stories about, you know, different places and people and restaurants and, and, and all that. And it was always something that I always enjoyed watching even as a kid. Maybe that's why le- one of the reasons it led me to what I do now. But it was such a fun time, a great time, I think, back in Boston in the 80s. And you were there for an entire decade with so much going on. Well, one of the nice things about it was that it was really a family-friendly show. And you never had to worry about your kids running into the dining room and going, Mom, you'll never guess what I just saw on I was, was this like is a guy who was a real estate guy who was really good at boating. <laughs> oh, but it was it was great. But it was all, it was interesting that it was you're remembering a time in television when uh, out there in the Berkshires there were probably three maybe four television stations. Exactly. Yep. And because TV uses defined frequency, the government would sort of uh, hold you somewhat responsible. For what you did. And there would be, for instance, you, you had to serve the interest of the community in order to have that, basically, that you own one of a very small number of frequencies that were available to do this on. Yep. So the, the people, in return, asked that you serve their interest. So TV stations had to go out and do what we called community ascertainments and go around the to, in Boston and to, to minority neighborhoods, into the Berkshires, and they, some person with endless patience would sit and go, so is what WBZ doing uh, serving the interests of your community? And some people would say, yeah, and say, all right. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. And they had to really be responsive to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the if you didn't do that, famously in, um, in Boston, a TV station once... Uh, that was became WHDH lost its license to somebody that went after them for wow. behaving badly. Wow! That and there was incredible. also the fairness doctrine in place then. Yep. Before there was a bazillion things to choose from, the fairness doctrine required that if you have on somebody that's nuts on that side, you had to have somebody <laughs> that's close to his nuts on the other side. (laughs) So those things really did make a difference. And I don't think we've quite caught up with how you handle it now that there's eight bazillion outlets that are TV-like at any given moment, and many of them you really should worry if your kids are watching it. Absolutely. Barry Nolan is my guest, former host of Evening Magazine. And and so many others, which I'm going to get to in a second, because I, I find this is a is a very interesting transition, even for someone like myself who's been in broadcasting and gone from different stations and so on and so forth. But going from like Evening Magazine, where like maybe you and, and Sarah were down at a, you know a clam shack down in Plymouth and having a great day, and then all of a sudden boom, you're at hard copy talking about some really outrageous stuff. What kind of a transition was that for you? It surprised me more than it surprised you. <laughs> 
it came the the way that route happened was I'd been there nine years and I got a call out of the blue from uh, my agent who said ABC wants you to do a pilot for them for a reality show called Over the Edge and I said well, where's the audition I said no no it's this they they just want you to do it oh nice mm-hmm. so I said oh all right yeah sure so I did that and it was great fun and I was coming up to the end of my contract at BZ and needed to re-up at some point anyway. And I said, can I do this? Would you let me? And they said, oh, yeah, sure. So I did it. It was successful. And it ran at a prime time on ABC. Then they came back and asked me to do another one and then a third one. (laughs) And so I read in the the papers that the conventional wisdom that was, was that Next year, when ABC announces its schedule, Over the Edge will be on it because they've done three of them and they've been reasonably successful in prime time and blah, blah, blah. So I went in and told the nice people at BZ, who were always really sweet and kind, and well, many times sweet and kind, <laughs> uh, that this is what I wanted to do. And they said, oh, sure, understand, good luck, and go get them. And then, so I did my last show, and they, the last show thing they do. And about two weeks, three weeks after that, I pick up, the, the trades and read that the conventional wisdom now says ABC has published their schedule for next year and our show wasn't on. Oh, no. Because the guy that uh, had just become president, Bob Iger, who you probably heard of, oh, yeah. didn't believe that reality programming had a future. <laughs> Oops. And so I've got a wife, mortgage, a couple of kids. And yep. I mean, Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I went. I did everything I could to try and get a job that I liked. Went out to Los Angeles and lived there a while, and took meetings and made pitches and wasn't successful. And then I had gotten a call from my agent at one point, going, uh, "So hard copy said they, they'd like to have you talk to him." I said, nah, "Nah, that's just that's not what kind of thing I want to do." Well, about three or four months down the line, my kids still insisted on eating. God, <laughs> Hey, this mortgage. So I called up my agent and said, hey, you know those guys at hard copy that said, <laughs> you want to call them back and see if maybe they still want? So my agent calls back and they said, yeah, sure. All right, going down to New York, you'll be a, a probationary reporter in our New York bureau. I sort of had the same expression you just did. Yep. <laughs> and I went down there and the office for hard copy back then was in a building that later became Trump Towers there. At, oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, know where it is. Columbus Circle. And I went up to the, where it was, the 24th floor and walked into the office where the receptionist was sitting and go, hi, I'm, I'm Barry Nolan. I'm the new kid <laughs> or I'm the new guy. And she goes, new guy, what? <laughs> And I finally realized that the West Coast that had hired me hadn't even bothered to oh, tell the no. East Coast that they'd hired me. That's how important I really was to them. Wow. <laughs> and it was a total surprise. <laughs> so I said, you know, I kept pitching stories to, to send me out on for a while. And they go, nah, nah. You know, no, nothing with a hyphen where you go dentist, race car driver. No, <laughs> nothing like that. Finally, I, I got a call from L.A. and they say, all right, we got our first story for you. And you're our Boston guy. So we know you can you can handle this. We want you to do a story about how JFK Jr. is being uh, groomed to run for president. And I said, I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh, and I said, OK, I'll, I'll get right on this. And I started making calls and calling friends and had to call them back and say, well, the thing is, it's simply not true. He's, he's that He doesn't want to. It's just it's not going to happen. And they said, no, it doesn't matter. Just 
find a way to do a story that includes a picture of him with no shirt on, like was just on the cover of People magazine. <laughs> Beefcake. Uh, okay. And I ended up doing it. Another job. Yep. But fortunately, I got all this uh, video of him that they had available from paparazzi. And you could not help, when you see all this unedited video of him dealing with these people that just flocked around him whenever he was out in public, and he was unfailingly polite, and would, you know, somebody would be walking backwards, taking video of him, saying, you know, so, what do you think about Chappaquiddick or something? And he'd, he'd go, oh, careful, you're about to step off the curb. And he would be just kind and thoughtful to him. So I did this story, and, and including, of course, that one... He's a little boy at the yeah, funeral oh, yeah. looting that just broke everybody's heart. And the, the best part of that story was tracing his background and saying, so how did we go from that, where we were collectively his godparents, to this? And here comes the People magazine thing, sexiest man in America, him, you know, standing there looking like he was the headliner of a movie. Mm -hmm. So, but... It, they liked the Kennedy people, actually liked it enough. They asked for a copy of it to put in the, the family oh, wow. uh, library there in Brooklyn. Barry Nolan is my guest TV presenter of Evening Magazine, Hard Copy Extra. Also many things here, a lot of stuff to talk about. Barry, so your tenure with, the, uh, with Hard Copy, that was eight years, am I right? Seven years? Uh, a total of nine years, because part of it I was in New York and wasn't co-anchoring. And then they finally did, they decided, for whatever reason, actually, uh, one of the guys that was responsible for having me change over to be anchor said, well, one of the things we like about him is he has that sort of Kennedy-esque legitimate look. Oh, <laughs> very nice. And I think one of the TV is a is a weird thing. One of the things I learned when I first started doing any kind of audition for TV was I was not categorized as the the lead. I was categorized as the young daddy type, you no. know, like normal guy that might live on the block and you'd say hi to as you drove to work. Right. So th that helps. So even you know people should realize you don't have to look like you know somebody that has a fist for a chin. To, right. But I did it. I, I finally had to move out to Los Angeles and you know, was there for to cover a lot of dopey stuff, but also covered the Oklahoma City bombing and Waco oh. and 9-11. And, well, 9-11 was when I was doing extra, but interviewed O.J. Simpson a couple of times. It was an e-ticket ride. Oh, wow. Now, what do you have a favorite TV moment? Is there one that just stands out to you? You know, my favorite TV moments probably were associated with uh, covering the Hoyts. You know, Ricky. Yeah. And, you know, Ricky, uh, some people didn't appreciate that Ricky, who his parents that are was born with severe cerebral palsy. He couldn't speak and he couldn't do anything for himself. The only thing he could control with any precision was his head. He could later on control a computer thing with pushing with his head. But he was originally, they told his parents, he's never going to be anything more than a vegetable. Put him in an institution, grieve, and then move on with your life, have other <laughs> children. Man. But this was this family that just didn't have any quit in them. Yeah. And they took Ricky home and they did everything they could think of to try and stimulate him and entertain him and engage him. And they began to realize this is a kid that not only somebody home, but a very bright kid who had a wicked sense of humor and loved it when I called him Knucklehead. <laughs> and he was, it was this amazing family that you just thought, where do you get that 
grit, that mm -hmm. courage, that love, that understanding. And I, I covered events in their life for a long time from when, you know, Ricky was little and was being mainstreamed in elementary school through uh, when he, I was there when he graduated at Boston University with a degree in counseling. There when he, Evening Magazine did an anniversary show and I was, we were trying to find something nice to do for the Hoyts at the anniversary show. This is a long time ago. And back when apples were just coming out and apples were just so easy for ordinary people to use, I thought, oh, maybe let's, let's see if we can get his, an apple for him to use to communicate with. And I called out the apple people that wherever I found them and said, well, there's this story, the Hoyts. And I thought, it'll take a month for him to get back to me. Apple, God bless their souls called me back the next day yeah. and said, yeah, we got the best one for him. Where do you want it? Where do we send it? You know, we had this moment where we tell Judy, his mom and his dad, Dick and Ricky, and it, it was an expression of just unbounded joy that just made you just tear up. Mm -hmm. And then later, you know, I was there when they began their run across the entire freaking United States. Yeah, amazing. The, the story amazing. began with, you look at the street that comes up from the Santa Monica Pier, and, the, you know, the street crests, and you begin to just see this little head coming up, Dick, and then there's Ricky in the wheelchair, and then they zoom past you, and pictures of them out in the desert, and they ran and biked from the Santa Monica Pier to Boston to raise money for other people that had handicapped children. Yeah. So Barry, of course, there has to be the other side of that coin. Did you have like a your your hardest TV moment or your or sort of like your worst TV moment? Well, uh, actually, there was one that was associated with the Hoyts, where they wanted to run their first uh, Ironman. Yep. In Hawaii, and they did call me up and said they wanted to do that, and if I had any ideas about how they might accomplish this, because it, you know they didn't have much in the way of spending money, they they weren't known at that point, and so I called up people like the great uh, Bernie Willett at American Airlines and said, the Hoyts, you know who they are? Oh yeah, 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 they want to go to the Iron Manager. Done, done, deal. You got it. They got the tickets and called people at the Sheraton, used to be based in Boston. I called the people at the Sheraton, said, oh, it's done. What do you need? And then I had to figure out when and, you know, a place for our crew to stay and pitch it to our uh, producer, who back then, the executive producer of Evening, was a wonderful uh, woman who is now a uh, advocate for autism named oh, uh, wow. Nancy Osbaugh whose husband back then was Matt Lauer. Okay. Today's anyway, I go into Nancy and say, imagine this, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 the Hoyts, and we're doing it, and we go, and we go, and we cover the, the whole thing. And she goes, how are you going to do that with one camera over two-mile ocean swim, a 26-mile run, and then a hundred-and-something-mile bicycle thing? I said, well, we'll figure it out. We'll get it all figured out. So Dave McGilvery, who's a great Boston person there, helped us figure out how to get around the logistics and despite the fact that ABC back then wouldn't give us a press pass because they'd never heard of the Hoyts. So we get all this stuff done and but the only problem for me is the uh, we have to be there kind of a long time because the uh, plane, the, the, the demand for plane tickets right before and after the race oh, yeah. is very hot. So we had to be out there a little extra. So we go out there, everything's going great, Hoyts are there. And it's that morning of the Iron Man, and it's morning at the beach, and there's all these 
people with zero degree body fat out mm -hmm. there, you know, <laughs> getting ready to do that swim and checking everybody else out. And the Hoyts show up and the thing just softens. The whole, the whole attitude all along the beach just softens in a way. And they're just, for the first time, they've been doing this really rooting for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And we've got, the, we've got them going off, and I go down at the end of this little uh, rocky inlet to shoot them swimming out. And Dick has that thing he did where he put Ricky in an inflatable raft that's attached to a swim vest, and he's swimming through the open ocean, up to the waves to take Rick out a mile and then bring him back. And everybody goes out and there's a time you have to just wait because they're out of sight. And then the leaders of the race that may have a chance to win start coming in and ripping off their wetsuit and jumping on their bicycle and taking off. And more people are coming in, more people are coming in, and a few people still driving in. Finally, you see this motorboat coming in with Dick and Ricky. Oh, and no. Matt. And Dick had taken uh, some of the energy drinks yep. renew back then. Yeah, yeah. Just took a bunch of energy drinks the night before, thinking he'd, he'd preload carbs and water, and it made him sick. Oh. And he started throwing up as oh, he was swimming no. through these waves. And they'd gone out, had lasted beyond the cutoff time, so the kind people said, sorry, but it's not safe to let you finish, and they picked him up and bubbled. So now, <laughs> one of the most unpleasant moments of, of my TV career was... <laughs> I'm going to pick up the phone and call Nancy Alspaugh back in Boston because <laughs> we were, you know, yeah. we were kind of finished with the racing and going, well, <laughs> this thing happened. Oh, boy. And, you know, I, I thought I'd get fired as soon as I got back. Right. I also got, I almost got fired from Indian Magazine another time. <laughs> One time when I was just kind of new there, like, you know, you get invited to do these public do good things all the time just because you're on TV. And I got invited to speak to the um, ABC, the Association for Better Community Development. And they were having all the thing and they had a bunch of minority kids that they wanted to have uh, somebody from TV talk to about possible careers for them in TV. Well, BC was good about participating in uh, affirmative action. They really were good about that. Back then, if you look around any TV station, it's an awful lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. People are like you and me. And so I went to talk to these kids, and I thought, you know, I don't want to give them any baloney. I want to just tell them the truth. So I said, you know, for the most part, TV doesn't care about you because they don't understand that you are consumers too, and you buy the products and the things that they advertise. You might buy too. So you have every right to call up and demand that they do a better job of carrying things that you care about because and, and, and demand that they hire people that are, are minorities to produce TV programs because they, make, they can make different choices about what's a good story. Right. Well, I was I, one of the things I didn't realize was that the kids really weren't particularly interested in what I was saying because I just heard people like me say things like that before and nothing ever changed. And so I was kind of surprised that they weren't going, yeah, yeah. And then I got even more surprised when I found out later that there was a reporter from the Boston Herald sitting in the back of the room. <laughs> Was there. So a couple of weeks after that, I had, uh, I had I'd worked over the weekend and I had a day or two off during the week. And I decided I'm going to go out to Orange, Massachusetts and take that skydiving experience. <laughs> I was out there learning how to skydive. 
And I was, we went through all the classes and I was just waiting for my turn to get in a plane and go up and jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> I thought, I'll check back at the office, see if everything's going okay. And I called BZ and I said, so it's Barry, I'm just checking in, see how things are doing. And they go, you haven't seen the newspaper yet today, have you? Uh-oh. I go, no, what are you talking about? He said, now there's a story in there from the Boston Herald about how TV guy tells audience of black children TV oh. doesn't care about you. You'll never get a job. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, said, um, how's that going over? Oh. And the guy on the other end of the phone was quiet for a moment or so, and he goes, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> you might be better off if your parachute doesn't open. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And they, I found out later they actually did consider replacing me because I had been so injudicious as to say something like as to say the truth mm -hmm. that's <laughs> oh boy barry nolan is my guest on the treadcast tv presenter and um fired or could have been fired a number of times either on evening magazine oh, yes. hard copy or extra joining yes. me here all right barry i have to ask you what is your definition of success i think success is when you're living your life in a way that you want to get out of bed in the morning, you know, that you don't just go, oh, pull the covers over. It can be, you know, I know people that are totally happy doing such a bewilderingly wide array of things, including, you know, people that, uh, a friend of mine used to produce that uh, thing where people go on those crab fishing boats. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Alaska in the middle of the winter, and I think, how oh, you... There, there is not enough money to pay me to do that. Oh, yeah. It's, but if you want to do it, it doesn't matter. I'll follow up with this. So you're still finding that now at, at 75? Am I getting your age correct? Oh, I'm 75. I'll be 76 in, uh, later this month. Yeah. I love my kids, madly in love with my wife, live in a very peaceful little spot that makes us happy. And we try and go out and do something that uh, could reasonably be considered a good deed mm -hmm. time to time. And that's one of the things that makes you always feel better. Yeah, that's great. And and I know that uh, before we came on, and I'll uh, get this going and keep in touch with you about uh, setting up a GoFundMe page for you, uh, because <laughs> yeah. you were mentioning you're, you live in Virginia Beach now, and you showed me your backyard, and you're two blocks from the from the water, and, and, and it really touched, it struck a chord, Barry, that, you know, the struggle that you got, that you have, and you, and you go out and meet Tread, I, I don't even have a boat, and, and so I think there's something future that we can do, maybe some kind of charity auction that we can perhaps do, maybe back in Boston, get you back up here, and, you know, do something like that, but, you know. Uh, a banana boat, that, that would be good. <laughs> Barry Nolan has been my guest, a longtime TV presenter, and so much more. Barry, it has been an absolute pleasure to sit down here and, and just talk about you know so many different things and and I remember this just and and please believe me I don't expect you to remember this and I, you and I crossed paths when they were opening up I believe it was Widow's Walk Golf Club I don't even know if that's still around outside of Boston and you were invited out and you were there and I was there and I remember just sitting there and at the time I was working for a station uh, down in Plymouth and I remember you just coming over and sitting down and saying hi I'm Barry and I look at you and I go yeah I know you're Barry Nolan. And we had a very nice conversation about, you're asking me about what I was doing and, and a really great conversation just about you know, broadcasting in, in total. And that's always kind of stuck with me until this day. So it's kind of nice to almost come full circle and talk to you again. Well, I'm really glad to see somebody who was once such a nice kid turn out to be such a nice and successful man. Well, I Congratulations. Thank, thank you, Barry. So all the best to you and uh, hopefully we can uh, cross paths again. I'd love to. Take thank care. Thank you, sir. 
I really do appreciate you listening to the Treadcast. You can listen to this episode again if you'd like. Feel free to share it too, or listen to other episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to follow the Treadcast on Facebook for updates on upcoming episodes. 